Where do your loyalties lie? I would venture to guess that most of our lives pass by without a thought as to how our daily activities relate to our ultimate loyalties. But every so often we find ourselves in a situation where we have to choose between competing loyalties. It's then that we learn where our loyalties truly lie. Our gospel reading today takes place in a series of confrontations with the religious leaders during Jesus' last days in Jerusalem. The chief priests and elders question his authority. Where do you get off doing these things? So Jesus tells them three parables that illustrate what God is doing in and through him, and which show why Jesus has the right to do what he's doing. Understanding that he has told these parables against them, they come to him with three controversial questions which are intended to trap him in his words and undermine his authority or to get him in trouble with the Roman authorities. Our gospel reading today is the first of these three questions and it concerns competing loyalties. At first, it may not seem all that controversial. It may even seem like an innocent question. But Jesus sees right through the flattering words to their malicious intent. We're told that the Pharisees plotted to entrap him in his words. So what exactly was the trap? Here a little background is helpful. The taxes mentioned refer to the Roman census or poll tax, which amounted to one denarius per person per year. Uh, this is not a large sum, the wages for one day's worth of labor but it was a sign and a reminder of their subjection to Rome. As a result, it was very unpopular. In fact, in the first decade of the first century, when Jesus was a young boy, a Jewish man from Galilee named Judas led a revolt about this tax in particular. The Romans crushed the revolt with characteristic brutality, destroying Galilee's largest city, which was walking distance from Nazareth, and leaving the countryside strewn with crosses on which the dead revolutionaries hung. The message was clear. You are a subjugated people, and you will pay taxes to Caesar. So there was deep animosity and unrest among the Jewish people concerning this question. It didn't help that the coin used to pay the tax was itself considered idolatrous by the Jews, a violation of the commandment against graven images. You see, on one side it had an image of Tiberius Caesar with the inscription, son of the divine Augustus, and on the other side an image of the goddess Roma with the inscription, high priest. So when the leaders ask Jesus if it is lawful to pay this poll tax to Caesar or not, they are giving him a question which is designed to get him in trouble regardless of how he answers. If he says, no, don't pay it, he'll be in trouble with the Romans. But if he says, yes, pay the tax, he would be taking a very unpopular view among the Jews of his day and would lose credibility. So the trap is set. Jesus' twofold response is brilliant. First, he exposes their hypocrisy. They begin their questioning by flattering Jesus saying, we know that you speak the truth, but everyone knows that that's not true. They think that he is, his teaching is dangerous and blasphemous, and they're trying to trap him 
and undermine his authority. They're being hypocritical in that they appear to be seeking wisdom, but their real intent is malicious. But there's another, more tangible hypocrisy that Jesus exposes. He asks them for the coin used for the tax, which they supply. Innocent enough on the surface, except remember that the coin itself is an unlawful graven image. Josephus tells us, the ancient historian, that when Pilate brought imperial standards with Caesar's image on them into Jerusalem, a crowd of Jews demanded that they be removed and would not back down even at the threat of death. And yet the leaders questioning Jesus are carrying coins with Caesar's image and blasphemous inscription around Jerusalem and even into the temple precincts where this conversation is taking place. In other words, their actions reveal their evil intent. So Jesus makes it clear at the outset that his opponents have no leg to stand on. But he goes on to answer the question nonetheless. And his answer amazes them. You see, they had framed the question as a yes or no question. Either it's lawful to pay taxes or it's not. It's black and white. It's Rome or religion, Caesar or God. But Jesus is not content with those options. He won't be pigeonholed into their categories. He asks them, whose image and inscription is this? Unfortunately, the translation today muffs, muffs it again. Uh, whose image is this is what the text reads, not whose head. Um, and it's actually quite important for the meaning of the passage. They reply, Caesar's. And Jesus says, then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. This is such a rich response. Here are just a few layers of what Jesus is saying here. First of all, it implies an ordering of competing loyalties. By placing our loyalty to Caesar over against our loyalty to God and getting us to think about the image, Jesus implies that just as money with Caesar's image belongs to the emperor, humans themselves who bear God's image belong to God. In other words, uh, we have many different loyalties in life to state, to family, to work, to God. And while it's right and appropriate to give the state or family or work their due, these loyalties have their limits. We can pay taxes to Caesar, but we may not worship him. And they are all dwarfed by what we owe to our maker. We owe God our whole life all our labors, all our thanks and praise. And even those lesser loyalties are granted not in spite of, but because of our greater loyalty to God. Jesus makes it clear that if there is ever a genuine conflict of loyalties, our loyalty to God should always come first. His response also relativizes the significance of the tax and the money with which it's paid you get the impression that Jesus is suggesting, is this how Caesar makes his mark in the world? Fine, give it back to him. God has placed his image on a much more valuable treasure, and we are to give ourselves back to God in worship and service. Lastly, I think there's an implicit charge to his followers and a warning to the rulers. The image on the coin is Caesar, of course, but it's also an image of a human being, a human made in the image of God. 
as image bearers, we all have a God-given vocation to govern the world in a way that is, in such a way that his will is done on earth as in heaven. This is true of every human, but some have less, some more areas over which they can exert a godly influence. The charge to Jesus' followers is to treat all humans, even despised pagan oppressors, with the dignity with which they have been endowed by their creator, and to cooperate with governing authorities who are called to maintain justice and peace. The warning to rulers is that we will all, peasants as well as princes, be held accountable for the way we have lived our, into our God-given vocation to mediate God's just rule in our own spheres of influence. And those to whom much responsibility has been given, let the rulers of the world take notice. Much will be expected. It was by all accounts a remarkable rejoinder, avoiding a deliberate trap, articulating a nuanced teaching of his own, and providing correctives for various parties listening, all in the span of one memorable sentence. But it's not just a marvel of ancient wisdom for an un, of, from an unparalleled teacher. The passage raises several questions for us today. Let me suggest a few. First, have we, like Jesus, ever been pressured to conform to one of two stark alternatives and decried as a traitor whichever side we choose? When we are faced with such a situation, we would do well to remember that the truth is often larger than our petty squabbles and not allow ourselves to be pulled into conflicts that aim to divide and distract from weightier matters. Second, perhaps a little more uncomfortably, are there any ways in which we might be coming up to Jesus with an axe to grind, hoping to trap him in his words and undermine his authority in our lives? If so, Perhaps we can hear Jesus saying to us today, why are you putting me to the test? What area of our lives are we hiding from Jesus so that we might not hear him speak the way of God in truth? Lastly, Jesus' reply speaks a word to us today as well. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Have we made up our minds about how to respond to the various things competing for our loyalty? Jesus' words give us needed perspective in the midst of both the mundane and the troubling experiences of daily life. They are a reminder of our origin and ultimate destiny and a challenge to make clear in our lives where our true loyalties lie. <laughs>